Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Vince. And I'm Ashley. And we are the lead pastors of the Outlet Community Church. And wherever you are in the world, our heart is to add value to your life. That's right. Whether it's an encouraging word, whether it's a topic in the Bible, whether it's a life skill that you're looking to develop and hone in on, allow us to be an outlet for you. Yes, and our prayer is that wherever you are, whether you're right here in service or you're out in the world in the nation, listen, our prayer is that God meets you right where you are. We all have needs, we all have things, but our God is able and he's able to bless you and get you where you need to be. We have hundreds of hours of digital content that is available for you to consume yes. free of charge. Freely we receive, freely we want to give <laughs> it back to you. So make it a point to check out our page, check out our website at the yeah. Outlet Community. Dot com and you'll be able to find countless hours of videos, podcasts, and other material to help you grow in your walk with God. Hey, if you like some of the content, like, subscribe, share it, and we'd love that. <laughs> See your family and friends. So open up your heart and get ready to receive all that God has for you. Um, at the top of every year, you know, of course, before we go into a new year, I take time to quiet down and really see, Lord, what are you doing in this season? What are you doing in this time? And I'm not necessarily searching for a word or uh, a theme for the year, but I am open because each year that I've led our church, at the top of the year, God has given me a word for the year. I'll never forget the first time that this happened was in the year 2020, and I stood up to the church, and I said, I'm really sensing the word God has given me is a word called disruption. And I don't know if you all remember 2020. Can y'all believe that that is four years ago already? Time has, as we say, flewed by. Time has gone. And was that not a year of disruption? Amen. It, It truly was. And each year after that, Uh, The Word has typically helped us in our focus to anchor back to what is God desiring to do in this season. And so in about November of last year, as I was uh, just having some personal time with the Lord, He dropped this series into my heart. And I was so excited, I immediately texted Lisa, Ash, Diana. I was was texting them and saying, here's where I believe the Lord is is saying. And, And it's two fronts that we need to get strong in as a church. The first front is in the realm of prayer. We need to be a praying church. But on the other front, I believe the Lord is asking us to grow in wisdom as a church. So prayer and wisdom, prayer and wisdom. Those were the two words that um, the Lord kept sharing with me about this year. We really need to grow in our understanding of prayer, in our commitment to prayer, in our consistency in prayer. But what aids prayer is having the wisdom of God to know what to pray for. And so we're going to spend time this year helping you with prayer. 
I know myself included, I, I like to get better, especially at the basics. And so prayer for me is really important. And so this year, we're intentional. And so much so, we're starting the year every Monday through Friday online for 15 minutes to get together to pray. For those who want to take it a step further on Sunday mornings at 930, we have what's called the prayer workshop to help you fine-tune your prayers and understanding what it means to pray according to the Word of God. And again, all of these things are free of charge. We are really trying to empower people to lead the best life they've ever lived. But as I began to fine-tune on, Lord, why are you asking us to focus on prayer why are you asking us to focus on your wisdom? These two text scriptures came up. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Fight the good fight for the true faith. Someone note there where it says true faith. Paul then goes on to say, Hold tightly to, eternal, to the eternal life to which God has called you. Someone say and type in, God has called me. God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, Paul also writes here, he says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. He said, We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Verse 5, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. To shape our year, we're going to spend this entire month in a series that I like to call Call to duty, spiritual warfare. Call to duty, spiritual warfare. We are going to get into how to wage war, not as natural individuals, but how do we wage war in the spirit realm? How, how do we know when something is a spiritual attack versus when it's a natural consequence? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. And I'm submitting to you this day, this year, our intentions, our plans, our vision. It's, it's all from you, and I submit it back to you. Help us as we delve forward in your word to hear you, to know you, to be the church that you called us to be. Help us to not forsake the basics, the fundamentals that will allow us to grow into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Expert self-defense instructor Tom Givens writes in his book, Fighting Smarter. He says, I can assure you, in life-threatening crisis, you will either be 0% involved or you'll be 100% involved. But you won't be 40% involved, you won't be 50% involved, you won't be even be 60% involved. And what he was attempting to do was help 
his, not only his students, but also the readers of his writing to understand one of the most effective breakdowns of a mindset that one needs in order to be successful whenever they find themselves in the midst of a battle or a crisis. He says, in reality, a mindset is the cultivation of a mental state, an acquisition of skill, and the careful selection of equipment well in advance of the fight. So he says, a person who is skilled in fighting, a person who is going to be victorious when battles arise, they know how to cultivate a mental state. They know and have the right skills, and they are careful with the selection of the equipment or the weapons well in advance of a fight. And this is what allows you to not only survive, but prevail in a violent encounter with even the worst of criminals. When Paul was writing in 1 Timothy chapter 6 to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the fight for the true faith. What he was endeavoring to instill into Timothy that you need to have your mind prepared. You need to have the skills necessary. And you need to understand the weapons that are at your disposal before you find yourself in a battle, before you find yourself in adversity. And what I'm coming to learn about God is that he will give you the words, the resources, the mentors, and the opportunities well before you ever need them. And if we do not discern what God is doing, we'll end up missing what he's bringing in our life to sustain us in the midst of a battle. The best time to get ready for a storm is not when the storm has already taken place. The best time is when it seems like I'm finally able to catch my breath. I'm finally able to take a deep breath. It's in those seasons where we have the temptation to begin to pull back from the very habits that got us through tough times. When you look at the counsel and the context of Scripture throughout the entire Old Testament, the people of God always find them, found themselves in a particular cycle. They would be in bondage, and then they would pray for deliverance from that bondage. And then the faithfulness of God would set them free from what they were bound in, and they would be out in freedom. And then while in freedom, they would lose all of their good habits and then find themselves back in bondage. But it's not just biblical. It's natural. If we could just get honest with ourselves, when we find ourselves and our back against the wall and we're, we're under the gun and we need something to get done, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that we make it out of the tough time. But just when we find ourselves able to have some breathing room, we relinquish the habits that got us through the tough times. We begin to go back to behaviors that set us up to be in the tough time. But what I want us to do as a church is to commit to live spiritually disciplined lives when life is good and 
when things may not be so well. That we do what is right, not because we're trying to get something from God, but because this is what's going to help me live a life of thriving and flourishing that he's called me to live. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, when he says, fight the good fight for the true faith, hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have so declared before many witnesses, the question that I had is, what does it mean to fight the good fight for the true faith? Well, in 1 Timothy 6 and 12, the image in the Greek here is not one of war, but rather a wrestling match or an athletic contest. And when we're wrestling, as we saw in our opening text scripture, we're not wrestling against other natural people. We're not in a contest with other natural people. We're wrestling against our own desires to do right and to not do right. And it's not just a one-time deal here. It is every single day you have to wake up and make a decision that am I going to, to allow the good part of me to gain control or am I going to allow the bad part of me, which, listen, doesn't need your help to be bad, to gain control every single day. But in order to understand 1 Timothy 6, 12, let's walk back a verse to verse 11. Let's add a little more to this, fighting the good fight of faith. In 1 Timothy 6, 11, it says, But you, Timothy, are a man of God. He was affirming Timothy here. He said, So run from all these evil things. And in my Bible, I highlighted all these evil things. It said, Pursue righteousness and a good life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. When the challenge was presented to Timothy, he was not reminded of his weakness and his frailties. The good father in the faith, the good mentor in the faith, Paul, what he was doing is he was affirming Timothy in who God has created him to be. And I want to start this year by affirming you in who God has created you to be. You are not defined by your bad habits. In fact, you are not defined by your good habits. You are not defined by your success, and you are not defined by your failures. Your identity comes from God, and it's in Christ that we live, move, and have our being. So I know you might listen and think about all the things that aren't going right and didn't go well, and you're waiting for the other shoe to fall, but what I've come to encourage you today is that God has placed his grace on the inside of you. He has called you before you were ever born. He knew you in your mother's womb. He placed you on this earth for a reason such as this. Yes, things may have been tough. Yes, life may have been hard, but the grace of God has caused you to be victorious in all of it. The simple fact that I know it is that you're sitting right here, either in this room or listening to me in another year. Come on, somebody. There was a moment in your life where you didn't know if you were going to see the next day, the next week, but yet you're sitting right here. So it's proof that God has never left you. 
So before he gives you instruction, he's got to tell you, hey, put your shoulders back, stand tall, know who he's made you to be, and let's get ready to do these things together. But in order to experience what he's called you to do, he has this phrase of, I need you to run from some evil things that you really, really don't like. Amen. No, it didn't say that. I was just testing y'all. See if y'all listening. Didn't say any of that. Let's throw 1 Timothy 6.11 back up there on the, on the wall. He said, in order to experience what you've been created to be, you need to run from how many evil things? Now, 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 listen, we're talking about an athletic competition, and I don't know if you all have ever seen any type of track and field uh, during the Olympics, but when they are running... They are really getting after it. They're not looking around and checking to see who is going to be the next person to run after them. No, they are focused on a goal. And that same word run is used from some evil. Right? No. All evil. Oh, why y'all pulling me this morning? I'm trying to say it nicely because we got a lot of first-time people. They New Year's resolution. They haven't got to know me yet. I'm just going to say it. Thank you, baby. Oh, see, the wife said it, so I got to say it now. Some of y'all just laying in evil things. You're not running, you're laying. You just, you just quit. I just quit. I just, whatever, whatever. Lord, know my heart. You will never experience all that you've been created to be until you make a decision to run from every area of evil. Every. And so this is for all of us. Because I know church... We like to think about the, the culturally friendly sins are the ones we need to run from. But I want to talk about the church sins that we like to wink at. I'll give you one. Offense, being offended, strife, unforgiveness. Y'all want me to keep going? Because we, 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 the, the, culture, the, the cultural sins, the faux pas, those things, you know, it's like, no, I don't do that. But everybody has to look in every area of our life to see, am I living up to Christ's image in every area? And have I put in the parameters to help me run from evil and not just live with evil? Come out the gate. All right. Let's talk for a minute, y'all. This year, I want your entire life to be in alignment. Every facet. Faith, your family, your relationships, your friendships, your fitness, and your finances. And, and there will be things each 
as we go along that we will put in place to help you get into alignment. I'll never ask you all from the pulpit to do something we as a church aren't willing to help you to do. I won't, I won't ever ask you to do that. I won't. That's just unrealistic. But when I personally sat down, let's just take in my life, in my budget, right? At the end of every year, my wife and I, we sit down and have one of the toughest meetings that you could ever have where we have an honest look at our lives to see in the faith, family, friendships, fitness, and finances, how have we progressed? And even in the areas that we've done well, how can we do even better? And I found a unique correlation this year that I hadn't seen before, and you all probably saw way ahead of me. But the areas of waste in one area were making it difficult to reach goals in other areas of my life. So, transparency, I didn't hit the physical goal I wanted to hit in 2023 in my, in my fitness. I didn't, I didn't hit that goal. Now, to God be the glory, I'm not where I started, but I, I, I missed that goal. But in my finances, I noticed that my fast food budget was all out of whack. So I wonder if I adjust in one area, if it will align to another area. All right. Uh, why am I telling myself today? I want to look perfect. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about faith, my personal time with God. Some days I did well. Some weeks at a time, I didn't. I have a goal every year to read the Word of God. And in December, I was 52 days behind from finishing. If I would have, in my discipline, in my time, set aside those that, that time with God each day, just 15 minutes, each day, would I have been 52 days behind in December? Now, to God be the glory, I was like Cat Williams. No, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> I sped up and, and, and completed. But it would have been a lot easier had my life been aligned. The question I guess I want to ask, and I am meddling today, is what part of your life is taking away from other goals you have in other areas of your life. And how do we align all of this so that we help ourselves? Because often we blame the devil for stuff, and it was just bad decisions on our part. The devil gets a whole lot of credit, and we don't accept enough responsibility. There are genuine moments where there is demonic activity at work. And the way you know that is you've done all you know to do, and it just seems like there is just this darkness that is still prevalent. There, 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 there could be demonic activity at work. The other part is just bad decisions is not the devil. You speed on the highway, going 95 and a 55, get pulled over by the cop and say, ooh, the devil busy. No. <laughs> That's your lead foot. 
So I want to spend some time today to practically talk about how to run from all kinds of evil. Now, the juxtaposition here is that there are many ways to sin, like a whole bunch. And I don't need to go over all the sins on today. Me personally, I'm a root kind of guy where there might be a, a host of different ways to get to something. I want to know, take me to the root and let's deal with the root because if you deal with the root, then it'll take care of all of the offshoots. So let's back up some more. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. We want to talk about running from all kinds, all, running, running from all kinds of evil. 1 Timothy 6, 9, it says, but people who long to be rich, key, long to be rich. It's important that you know that that is the key, to long to be rich, because you can long to be rich and far from it. So it says, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many, someone say many foolish and harmful desires. So this longing to be rich opens us up to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. So a longing to be rich sets me up for ruin and destruction. Verse 10 for the love of money, it didn't say money, it said the love of money. And this is where the church, as a church, and as the church, Big C, we have to ensure that we don't get into the ditch on one side or the other on any topic. So on one side of the love of money ditch is the prosperity gospel, where you need to find a scripture in the Word of God, and you need to open up the Word, and you need to declare and point at that particular car, and point at that particular house, and point at that particular outfit, and say, the Bible says that if I have just the faith as a mustard seed, I shall have whatsoever I say. And folks, making $12 an hour are believing for a car that would take them 30 years to pay for. That's the one side of the love of money. The other side of the love of money is, well, you know, money is just evil. Money, you shouldn't want it. You should vow and take a vow of poverty. You should be as Jesus was, who was poor, lowly, worm of the earth, and you shouldn't want for much. In fact, one of the denominations, or if you think it's Christianity or not, I'm not here for that argument today, but the, the place where the vow of poverty comes from is one of the richest churches in the world, just FYI. But then let's talk about Jesus. So, wise men, wise men met him when he was a young lad with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. He was set before he ever left the house. In fact, so much so, 
he was able to bring about disciples who also had families, and he was able to support them so much so that Judas was stealing from the account and none of the other disciples noticed a drop-off in how they were being taken care of. So these two extremes don't even line up with the Word of God. Because it's the love of money. It literally takes money to do ministry. Okay? Um, Where you're sitting at right now, okay? There was someone minimum 40 years ago who took, not thoughts and prayers, took their checkbook out and wrote money to pay for the seat you're sitting in. And for two generations, over 40 years, people have been hearing the Word of God and lives have been changed ever since. So money in of itself is not evil. Money is a tool. But if I have the wrong mindset to how to acquire that tool and I have a wrong purpose for why I want to use that tool, it'll set us up for a world of trouble that we weren't supposed to be in. But it says the love of money is the root to what? All kinds of evil. So if in the next verse, in 1 Timothy 6, 11, if he says for me to run from all types of evil, then Paul is also saying that we should run from the love of money. And I knew when I started talking about money in church, I better be ready. So let's talk about it real quick, y'all. First, I want us to understand that Scripture does not say that money is the root of all evil. Scripture says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself is neither good nor bad, but the love of it may lead to evil. Here's the definition of the love of money, and I'm going to be using this from here on out. The love of money can be defined as the inordinate longing to be materially rich and thus susceptible to many foolish and harmful desires. It's the unordinary desire to be rich. Someone said, what is the wildest thing you ever did for money? The response on that post was, I went to college, took out a loan to get out of school, to go to work, to pay off the loan I took out to go to college. That was the craziest thing (laughs) I ever did for money. But the inordinate longing for the acquisition of material possessions tends to lead to a thirst which can never be satisfied. My wife and I looked over the course of our life and our marriage, and there have been times where we incrementally increased financially, and then there were times in our life where we had large sums of money just blessed in our household at one time. Every single time our money increased, neither one of us were ever happy. Number one, I was mad about the amount of taxes. (laughs) 
But money and the increase of it never made me happy. Let me bring it home for you. Remember when you were in high school and you said, if I could just make this, I'm going to be balling. I'm going to be living. And you made that and you were like, what? Ain't no way that humans live off of what? Every time, if we don't get the love of money under control, every time we increase, our lifestyle will increase with it. So there has to be certain things internally. And now there's more uh, material and more research around the psychology regarding our spending habits, more so than the amount of money that we make every time that we get paid. There's a Roman proverbial saying that says, the acquisition of material possessions is like seawater. Far from quenching thirst, it rather intensifies it. The more we get, the more we want. The inordinate longing for the acquisition of material possessions is founded on an illusion. It's founded on the desire for security, but money alone can't buy security. It can't buy your health, and it cannot buy real love. And your money cannot preserve you from sorrow and from death. The security which is founded on material things is always doomed to failure. The inordinate longing for the acquisition of material possessions tends to make people selfish. And this type of longing fixes people's thoughts upon self. I got to get mine. In my generation, I got to stack my coins. The Generation Z says, I got to secure the bag. For those before that, I must accumulate wealth. Whatever you all said in your generation. (laughs) It was always focused on me, providing for my needs. And this is the very root that robs us from fighting the good fight of faith and spending that quality time with the Lord. It's it's what causes us to take an additional shift that then causes us to work seven days a week, 84 hours a week, because we're trying to get an extra after tax $43.56. It just was completely an eye-opening revelation and study of this word that if we want to see our lives get back into alignment with the plan and purpose of God, we have to put our desires and our affections in their proper place, starting with how we steward our money. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Everybody want to talk about all the church want is your money. Yes, and so does the doctor, so does the movie theater, so does the grocery store. I called Georgia Power and I said, I want to pay you this December with my thoughts and prayers. And they laughed and hung up. I didn't call them. That was just for illustration. I I knew thoughts and prayers weren't going to pay nothing. They need the tool. And the church 
If we're going to take our rightful place for those who are simply called to be a part, we've got to get vested in the heart first. We live in a world that just wants, they want, they want, they want, they want. But very few people want to give to make it happen. But I believe that we can change the narrative for the church inside of our church. And that we are going to make sure that material possessions, they do have their place. I have a prayer to see everyone under the sound of my voice thrive in all facets of your life. And I am tirelessly working behind the scenes to institute systems, to make investments, to see that become a reality. That is all I care about. If we could bring up the quality of your life and your family can have legacy and, and you and your spouse, you all can stop fighting over paper and begin loving each other in the sheets, glory to God, life will be so much better. The byproduct of families and individuals thriving and walking in their God-given purpose, the byproduct is the local church. But I have to be honest, as the church overall, we haven't been forthright when it comes to finances ourselves. Where you, you have pastors who pastor in the inner city and they pull up to a 800 square foot building with jail barbed wires on it and, and they've got the Bentley and they've got the range and they've got the red bottoms and they've got the clothes and the people are wondering how am I going to just live to next Sunday? But you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater, and that's why we are going to continue to fight for the purity of the local church. We're going to fight for the transparency of the local church. But the good news is I don't believe that I am going to fight alone. What if everyone in here said, I am going to commit to giving God this percentage of my resources? And you talk to God and ask him what that percentage is. You, just, you talk to him. You never heard a preacher say that. Why? I understand if I can get you to give 1%, it's an increase from you giving 0%. But what happens is when you begin to align your life to biblical principles, it gets addictive. You start at one and you're like, I want to see what I can do at five. I want to see what I can do at 10. I want to see what I can do at 15. And you begin orchestrating your life because you realize that all of these possessions, they're fleeting. All these materials, they're fleeting. Whose life can I change for the gospel? How can I get another stream of income so that I passively support kingdom initiatives? Nobody's asking you to take away from what your family needs. I'm saying, let's work together for you to get on a budget and you to get some resources so that you can begin providing a better life for yourself Sunday to Saturday and not just throwing some money at the altar, hoping that God will work it all out by the time you hit the, the, the parking lot, and it didn't because you didn't have a budget when you left here. But how can we thrive together? A church that's thriving together is loving better. A church where everybody's looking out for each other saying, hey, how can I help you in this? How can I help you in that? 
We don't have time to, to bicker and have infighting because, man, is everybody doing well? Well, if not, we still got work to do. How can I modify my life so that I can make sure I'm present at home, but also I can give at least once a month my time, my talent, my treasure to my local assembly? Imagine that. Amazing things would take place, but when I boil it down to why people can't be all that God has called them to be, the simple response is, I'm all out. All out from what? Work. Working to pay what? Bills. Stress from having to put up with all types of things just to keep a roof over your head. And we understand that. But as a good church, I'm not going to let you keep having the same testimony every year. I'm going to say, I hear you. And I hate that. But how can we work together to improve your life? And if you're grateful about what God has done for you, won't you be kind enough to invest it forward so we can continue this type of ministry to help others? Amen. Amen. I'm going to end with this and cut this message short today. I'm on fire. <laughs> I just saw too much foolishness while we were off. And I just said, God, if you've given us the, the opportunity to, to, to lead your people, then God, I, I want to do it right. I want to live right. I don't want to ask you all to do something that, that we won't lead and do from the front. But on the other side, this is an empowering culture, not an enabling culture. I'm going to say, listen, if we've done this, then I'm going to ask you to at least meet me wherever you can. Some of you have been waiting for a little nudge to get plugged in. To be what God has called you to be. Today is that nudge. We can't ignore that there is a level of church hurt that exists. Anytime you have humans interacting with another, there is going to be the opportunity to be hurt and to be offended. For that person in here or watching online, I want you to take all the time you need to get healthy. Take all the time you need to get to a place where you're starting to feel like yourself again. But for those who say, I could do more. I want you to find just a small percentage. I personally am not saying go from zero to 100. I'm saying just say, I can commit to this and I can orchestrate my life to do this percentage more. Just start there. Whether that's your time. My whole 
value system has been flipped upside down as it relates to how to organize and lay out this church. The top of that value system is our children and our teens. I am now being asked by our media director to do stuff I would have never in my life have wanted to do, but the way he presented it was, hey, Vince, if you don't do this, you're saying you don't care about Generation Z and the the generations that come after you. And as uncomfortable as I am, uncomfortable as I am to do these things, this has been one of the most effective weeks we have ever had in the history of our church. And it showed me, even me, I've got to get a little uncomfortable so that we can reach more people, so we can do what's going to reach the person who might not even think about the church because of their experience with the church. So children and teens are at the forefront of how do we orchestrate our lives here at this place to be a blessing not only on Sundays, but every day of the week. The issue that I have is next month I am going to, at this rate, if no one steps up, I am going to have to reduce how many times we offer our nursery and elementary school because I don't want to burn out the people that are already back there. And they only had four people to say, hey, I can commit this much. We don't have to shut that down. Our teen ministry, they went to our youth pastors and said, this is what we want. They laid out an entire calendar of events, of programming. But more importantly, They went to our youth pastors and said, we want you all to teach us even deeper in the Word of God. And I only have two consistent helping with the teens. And they're willing to adjust their lives to meet that need. I said, you all shouldn't have to do that alone. If they only had four, it would help them go a long way and be able to offer core groups that meet on site at 9.30 before the main service begins. Because last year I realized our youth pastors, they're doing what my wife and I are doing every Sunday before our teens. I don't preach 52 Sundays a year. I believe in a team concept. If we have service open, they are the ones that are up. That's not fair to them. So I said, that's on me to better support you this year. So begin to think and begin to pray. As we are doing our grocery giveaways, it's every month. Last year, over $350,000 of free groceries were distributed here. And all of us can benefit from that. But just like anything else, we need to help and alleviate the pressure that's on that team that's meeting once a week or once a month. Our clothes closet, every single day, one lady, Debbie Gomez, during the week, is servicing the entire community that is, that, is, that is being referred here to get clothing. The church is working, but I don't want to build this church and burn out good people. At the end of last year, there was one major initiative that I wanted to fund. And we were only, according to our budget, $1,500 away 
from doing that initiative. $1,500. Just a $1,500 increase in total giving would have completely funded this last initiative that we just had to pull back and say, we'll, we'll, we'll do it on next year. It's not a whole lot. But it's can you all support? This year, I'm going to watch and see what does our giving as a church look like? Because then it will help me to determine at what rate do we begin to accomplish various things that need to be done right here on this property. I've made a decision that we are not going to put our church into any unnecessary hardship to do the work of the ministry. Based off at the level of which our church supports is the level of what we'll do and what we'll staff. Once we reached our ceiling, we'll trust God for the resources to come in because I don't believe that it's fair to you all to have to shut the doors until we reach a certain amount in the offering each week. Because we've got work to do. Amen. Stand to your feet today. Glory to God.